Removing the wrong tooth. It may have happened to you. It's happened to me. It's happened to some of my colleagues. I've talked to people in the past that this has occurred. It's a very unnerving, unsettling feeling that you get. And that's my words, maybe not yours. When you make that error, it is something that you look back and you try to figure out how it happened. You try to deconstruct or reconstruct the process and the way that things occurred to allow that to actually take place. Today, I want to tell you, and this has been years ago, fortunately, we implemented a system in our office that we use, and I didn't create this on my own. This is just something that I took from the local hospital. I'm on staff at a Vanderbilt hospital nearby my office. I'm an affiliate surgeon. They didn't necessarily come up with it. This has been something that's been going on in the hospital operating rooms for years, but they're the surgical timeouts. And we use an oral surgery clinical timeout before we do surgery on patients in my office. The biggest benefit is, especially if you're sedating patients, I ask the patient myself before I sedate anyone, I confirm with them the teeth that we're taking out. I will just basically tell them, we're taking the upper left back tooth out today, correct? Or sometimes I'll have them take their index finger and point to the tooth. I know which one it is. I have the referral. I have the x-ray. I have the consent form signed. I have all of that available, but I still ask the patient exactly which tooth I'm taking out. Sometimes I get a weird response, like you don't know which one. No, I know which one I'm taking out, but I want to confirm with you so we're on the same page. And if there's a discrepancy, we're going we're gonna to figure it out. And it's saved me a few times. So I will directly ask the patient if they're awake. And even before I sedate them, what tooth or teeth are we removing? And I think that's a good way of doing it. It gets you on the same page with the patient. The patient gets an opportunity to dispute any possibility of an error on your part. I also encourage you to talk to your surgical assistants, your dental assistants, and give them full authority to stop you. And you probably already do this. I'm probably preaching to you guys something that's already implemented. But give them full authority to stop you if they even think you're doing something that's inaccurate. If we're working on the wrong tooth or taking the wrong tooth out in, in our case with oral surgery or working in the wrong quadrant, whatever the case may be. If they want to stop you, come up with a sign or a signal that lets you know that you need to stop because some, something's not right. Now, my patients, uh, like I say, I talk to them directly about it before we sedate them or before I numb them up or whatever the case may be. We get feedback from them, but we also do this oral surgery timeout that I've called it that. It's a surgical timeout that we stole from the hospital. And I'll go through the steps with this. It's very simple, very straightforward. So my team will get this informed consent. The informed consent will be given to the patient for them to review in the chair. And this is before local or before nitrous or before IV sedation, general anesthesia, whatever it may be. They all get the informed consent filled out. My team will fill out what we're going to do for them and then hand it to the patient. The patient gets to read that. And once they're comfortable with it and they're signing it, I'll come in, I'll go over and see if they have any questions. Have any questions, no questions, or if they have questions, I'll address them. We'll talk about it. 
We've already talked about risk, benefits, complications, and alternatives. That's just a quick phrase that I've learned back in residency and I use today. So we're going to talk about all that. Once they're comfortable and I'm comfortable, I make sure that they've signed it and dated it. And then I sign it and date it before I actually touch the patient. So that is one of my steps. Surgeon verifies written consent is signed by the patient and signs it themselves. That's number one. There's nothing more uneasy feeling than doing the procedure, doing the extraction, doing the surgery, doing the implant, the graft, whatever. And after the patient's finished, look over and realize that that patient didn't sign the consent form. They read it but they just didn't sign it because we didn't pay attention. And I've seen that happen. So this helps prevent that from occurring. It's just another stopgap in allowing us to miss something in the process. So the surgeon verifies written consent signed by the patient and signs it themselves. I sign and date it. Once I'm comfortable with it, I can move on. Another side note on surgical consents. I recommend that you contact your current malpractice carrier and ask them if they have informed consents that they would prefer that you use. They probably do. I have I have them from Omsnick, the malpractice carrier that I use. They have those available on their website. They're downloadable. You can edit them to some extent. But I just use their forms, and it works really well. So we know that it's covered. Their attorneys are the ones that develop these, so I'm pretty comfortable with it. And if you have a an untoward event that you're going to need defense with, from a malpractice attorney, then they wrote it. So that's the one that's going to be defending you wrote the informed consent. So that's, that's married up pretty well. So I recommend you have your malpractice carrier contact them and see if they have that. If they don't, then you can borrow one of mine, borrow one from Omsnick. I'm sure they wouldn't mind. So once the informed consent is signed and documented with witness by one of my surgical assistants, then we're going to proceed with sedating the patient we're going to proceed with numbing the patient up. We're going to provide anesthesia. Before I touch the tooth with a 15 blade, an elevator, a forcep, whatever, we have a surgical timeout and all activity stops. We go through the patient's name, the patient's age, the planned procedure, if there's any allergies that the patient has and the referring doctor, if there's a referring doctor. So we cover all that before we touch the patient. Once we go through that, everybody has to agree that that's the case. Obviously, if the patient's awake, they can chime in. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they'll say, oh, that's not that's not my birthday. Or there's an inaccuracy there. Hey, we'll fix it. That's okay. We proceed with surgery after all that has been covered and everybody's in agreement. Of course, if you have a sedated patient, they're not going to be able to respond. So that's a very good way of double checking yourself and having the team focused on exactly what we're doing to prevent us from making a medical error or surgical error. Again, the patient's sedated. My team goes through that quickly. We all agree and we move on. We have the x-ray up. We have the consent sign. We cover that information. And if we're all good, we can start surgery. All the team has to be in agreement. If anybody on the team wants to stop us, we stop. I have no problem with that. And they've stopped me before and asked me questions. Sometimes it was, we're doing the right thing. And they're like, oh, okay. I just, it doesn't matter. If you feel uncomfortable about something we're about to do, stop us. 
That's just extra, extra layers of safety. So you don't proceed without the patient and the clinical team members are in agreement. And that's the key to all of this. So that's my down and dirty on surgical timeouts, oral surgery, clinical timeouts. I say you implement those and they might save you some heartache later on. I first was uncomfortable talking to patients about that because I thought they felt like, well, damn, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. If he doesn't know which tooth he's taking out, I'm not sure I want to be here. So I try to explain to him, look, we cover this just to make sure we're all double checking. It's a safety issue. We want to make sure we're doing things correctly for you. And once you explain it that way, say, hey, we just, which tooth is it? Is it this tooth? Yes. Okay, perfect. That's the one we have. We're all good. That's the one I'm going to remove. A lot of times they feel even more comfortable with you when you just come out with it straightforward. And it might take a little bit of getting used to when you're uh, dealing with awake patients, sedated patients. I still talk to them before I put them to sleep. I still do that before I sedate them. So it's ultimately the same thing that we just double down on it when they're still asleep to make sure that we're still on the same page. I will post in the show notes a little PDF that I put together. You can laminate it. You can just download it and look at it. It's it's like a little infographic, if you will, that I've shared in a dental forum before. But I, I'll send that over to the show notes when we get finished. If you have any questions about this or if you have anything that you do differently or information that you think that we should add to that, please let me know. I'm happy to do it. Open to suggestion for, for sure on anything that prevent any type of mistakes or errors in what we do. I mean, we're held to a higher standard and rightly so. We're doing surgery. We're doing procedures. I'm good with that. With that, I'll leave you for another week. I look forward to talking to you in the next episode. If you have any questions, Russell Kirk at oralsurgerysuccess.com. Russell Kirk at oralsurgerysuccess.com. Talk to you soon. Thanks.